I, Vegeta, the prince of all Saiyans, hereby command that you do not listen or subscribe to the Dragon Ball 4 Life podcast. Whatever you do, would you defy royalty? No! Bye! Anime, we have your attention, please, and welcome to another episode of Dragon Ball Full Life. You come for the content, but you stay for the culture. And it's Friday. You know what that means. We have another brave challenger that has decided to answer the Dragon Call. But before we introduce our very special guest, you know who we are. As always, we are your hosts, the Fusion Dance Dons, a.k.a. the Mong Gods, a.k.a. Gods. the deadliest backcourt <laughs> in podcasting. I am Bro Jita, the Prince of All Sayings, Mr. Matthew Porter, a.k.a. Matty Ice, here with my counterpart, the oob to my Majin Buu, my den day one, going from the lookout to the cookout of Mr. Troll Trav. Talk to the people, Trav. I mean, you know me. I stay chilling, and I love thy women like Krillin. But, you know, Matt... Some would call us Switzerland because we remain neutral. We've interviewed villains. We've interviewed gods. We've interviewed humans. But today is special. Not only are we interviewing a hero and a villain, depending on what timeline you live in, but also an android. And no, I do not mean any messages received from this chat will be green. Our guest today has saved the multiverse. He was also an active participant in saving the demon realm as well. Like I said, our guest requirements have no boundaries. We are here conducting this interview today because this guest used his one wish to restore all of us back into existence. Honored and excited are only the tip of the scale for how we are feeling to introduce this guest. Please welcome voice actor, writer, and digital artist Chuck Huber. Snaps all around, snaps all around, snaps all around. We now return to your regularly scheduled DB4L programming. So unfortunately, uh, we got Thanos snapped. We blipped out. Technology betrayed us. The, the the androids rose up and we did lose like the very first couple minutes of our interview with Chuck. But pretty much all you guys missed is that growing up, him and his brother loved playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that what got him into like role playing and acting, which led him to a life of theater. And then from theater, he connected with, I believe he said his college roommate who knew some people who knew some people that were doing a little project called Dragon Ball. Funny aside, he thought that it was porn. And he wasn't too thrilled <laughs> to kind of join up to do that. But he actually introduced a friend of the pod, friend of ours, Chris Sabat, who uh, interviewed him for the role of Garlic Jr. And he did so good that he got the job right there on the spot and recorded his lines for Garlic Jr. The Dead Zone movie back in the 90s. And now we resume our interview. Wow. <laughs> It stopped the recording. So we missed all that. So, so we'll 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 put it aside into this (laughs) again. So where we last where we last left off, Chuck was telling us that how he moved out of Chicago because the winters were ferocious, and he moved back to Texas where it's better, way more affordable, and uh, his his time in theater had made him start to like put the feelers out for some voice acting, and he ran into a well known person. 
by the name of Chris Abbott. And we were resuming the story right there. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My buddy, uh, Brad Jackson, gave me the the audition. He actually just gave me Sabbath's cell phone number, which like is still his cell phone number to this day. (laughs) And well, at least I think so. I don't know. I haven't texted him in a while. But uh, uh, and I went and auditioned. And the first thing I auditioned for was Garlic Jr. And he was like, oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. And And then he was like, do you got time to record it like right now? And I was like. You mean I got the part? He's like, oh, yeah, dude, you got the part. Uh, we're kind of on a deadline. Like he had an episode to turn in and, and he needed to get it recorded. And I was the last part that wasn't recorded. So I stayed right then, I think about two hours. And uh, we were paid 35 bucks an hour back in the day. So, uh, you know, I he, he like ripped a piece of notebook paper out of out of a spiral notebook. It was like, give me your address so I can send you a check. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sh- sure, dude, you're going to send me a check. I believe you. And uh, sure enough, I got a check and uh, it was it was it was an important check at the moment. You know, times were tight and suddenly there was this extra 70 bucks that I could deposit in my account and, you know, feed feed the children, the wife and children and uh, buy some groceries. And so I was like, all right, game on. Let's do this all day long. And, um, <laughs> you know, back in the day, there weren't a lot of us doing it. So uh, we, we got cast a lot. I mean, in Dragon Ball, uh, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT. I'm, I'm Garlic Jr., I'm Emperor Pilaf, I'm Master Shen, I'm Mr. Shu, I'm Kibito, so I'm everyone. Android <laughs> All the I'm Invisible Guy. I, so, you know, they just kept using us uh, over and over and over again. So we, we ended up, uh, you know, and then as the property became what it is, the global monster that it is today, suddenly you're connected to people in their childhoods in a way that... Um, I never expected to be, you know, you got parents who, who are sharing it with their children and their children sharing it with the grandchildren now. So I got what I call grand fans. So they're <laughs> grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. yeah little, little eight year old kids. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> 20 years ago, my debt, my grandpa loved Dragon Ball Z and now I love Dragon Ball Z. So it's like, all right, game on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that a commonality between a lot of voice actors, because we actually just had a guest on uh, Shadows to Rafi uh, not too long ago. D&D seems to be uh, a aerobic inspiration for a lot of people right. who have like migrated uh, into like, you know, just nerd culture of voice acting. I guess, Trav, for us as like 90s kids, I guess like Pokemon would be like right. the D&D equivalent for us, like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! A little, little bit, little right. bit of Beyblades, right? Like, <laughs> oh, Beyblades! Yes. Yeah, I love yeah, Beyblades, man. Like I, I always I was an asshole like, with Beyblades. Find... I won't lie. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you? I, I got, I got off the bus stop and was like, like would like fling them at kids, but like, these were like the metal jumps. So like, <laughs> yeah, the MS I was, yeah, I was a little asshole with it. So, <laughs> nah, I love Bey- Beyblading was life, bro. I used to carry my little plastic stadium with me, like oh, yeah, Bey battle. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's get down on some cement. <laughs> And just to reiterate, to make sure that the recording got it, when Chuck um, interviewed, I mean, when auditioned for Garlic Jr., he recorded it right on the spot. So just wanted wanted to reiterate that, make sure that that wasn't lost in the recording. It's the only time I've been an actor for 30, 32 years now. That's the only time that's ever happened in my entire (laughs) life where I auditioned and immediately did the job. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, like, it's... It's crazy because it's like, you know, obviously we're Dragon Ball fans and, you know, like, so like hearing your voice is a little surreal right now. But like, so talk right. a little bit about like, 
the mental prep and preparation that you get into when you receive a new role, uh, you know, and like what you what, what you do to really embrace the character? Uh, you know, most of what we do is taken from what the Japanese seiyuu does. Uh, you know, that's our first uh, primary reference point, what was originally laid down. And you can't you can't do what they do. The Japanese language has mm-hmm. a, uh, because it, 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 an anime comes from the Kabuki tradition. Kabuki theater in Japan is a very heightened stylized way of expressing. Uh, it's an art form that is incredible when done properly and really painful when done badly. And I'm like, that's just like anime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of like, you know, like that really sort of, the, the intonations that become uh, pretty extreme. We don't, we don't necessarily uh, have the ability in our language to intonate exactly the way they do in the Japanese. Inflections, yeah, it would sound crazy yeah. in, in English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. try to mimic we that. Tr- <laughs> we try to, we try to, we try to take what what did they do with the character? What's the character trying to do? What's the quality of the voice? What's the rate, the tempo, the volume? The you know, you you kind of like get the basic structure of the character from what the say you did, and then after that, you get to kind of put your own uh, uh, artistic interpretation into it. Um, and always at all times trying to serve the story well because the the real art uh, when you think about it the real art of any great anime begins and ends with the writers it's a story it's the story and the characters and the relationships that do it second to that and a very close second is the art is what is being drawn? Is it beautiful? Is it effective? Is it uh, you know emotionally impactful? And then third, uh, when you get finally to the American dub, you get we get to participate a little bit, but our participation in in making an anime great is mostly to do with not screwing it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I always I always equate it to surfing like the anime is a wave. And as, as a dub actor, we get to surf on it and our job is not to fall. You know, our job Mm. is to, you know, just stay balanced, stay floating through it and make sure we're, we're serving the, the art form well. And that's, you know, that's where we begin and end for sure. Absolutely. And what uh, you might've said this was, was garlic junior, like your first paid voice acting job or were you like doing some little small things that kind of like led to like, Oh, Hey, this guy has like his voice fits, fits what we're looking to get done. Well, in Chicago, I was with an agency that was known for their voiceover. They had a a very famous voiceover, commercial voiceover artist named Larry Moran, the funny (laughs) voice man. And we had the the Tony the Tiger dude. They're great. I remember (laughs) at one time they were renegotiating his contract. So we all got to audition for Tony the Tiger, which was like, "Mm, man, that was a payday. You knew you were going to be. Like do you, a millionaire if you scored that? Are you, do you remember your uh, audition and how you, your your interpretation <laughs> of Togi, Tony the Tiger? I think they're great. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> he ended up still doing it. It was just it was just a negotiating tactic. Yeah, he was mm. negotiating. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and we kind of knew that, but you always get excited when you're when you're auditioning for something. So I'd done voiceover, commercial voiceover with my agency, and they had a studio in their agency, which was, um, 
uh, unique at the time. A lot of a lot of times, so back in the day, actors, if they were doing commercial voiceover auditions, used to have to go into the production company and audition in their studio and be recorded in their studio. But we were able to, and you'd have to schedule a time, and it was it was a little complicated. We were able to just go into our agency and record in the booth that they had, which, like most booths, was you know a modified closet. Uh, uh, but it, it was, it was, that's where I started acting in front of a microphone for sure. And I remember at one point for Christmas, my stepson, my oldest stepson and I, uh, recorded, uh, for the family. We did, um, like books on tape, but we made our own cause everybody was, all my brothers and sisters were having a bunch of kids. So there were all these nephews and nieces. And so we recorded tapes uh, of, of different children's stories. We did, you know, like Good Night Moon and Very Hungry Caterpillar and uh, I don't know. Classics. Something, something of, yeah, a bunch of classics. That we, <laughs> little we little Red Hen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, I've been doing it for a long time. But I, even when I got the role of Garlic Jr., I didn't, I didn't think about it. I, it wasn't a concern for me uh, in terms of like, I wasn't focused on it. It was, it was literally, it was fun. The dudes doing it were all cool and chill and like to goof around and have fun. Uh, there was really no pressure because we didn't, you know, I, for all I knew, we were recording this and they were being stuck in a closet somewhere. I didn't even know. It was <laughs> <laughs> I like, like when it got on Cartoon Network, I, I didn't even know it was on Cartoon Network. Suddenly oh, wow. I heard like, like I was like, what? Sonny and Sonny and Sean and and Stephanie are traveling around the country in a Humvee, like, like promoting. Dra I was like, how'd they get that gig? I want that gig. That seems cool. And then that's when I finally became aware that like, oh, this is on television and people are watching it. And I had no idea. I was like, oh, that's cool. But even then, I was focused on theater and film and television, my own movies. Uh, so I really. I, I kind of was like, oh, that's neat, but just kind of would show up to do the jobs when they asked me to, but wasn't wasn't focused on it. And then, um, you know, it kind of became obvious that it was uh, uh, to me, it became obvious that it was a huge deal when they invited me to I think it was 2003, 2000. I think it was 2003. The Funimation was like, would you like to go to San Diego Comic-Con? Um, hey for uh and i was like yes and they were like we'll pay for your plane ticket i was like that's awesome we'll give you a hotel i was like <laughs> you, had me at, you had me at comic-con <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, uh you know they they gave me a stipend and i drove with my whole family out there because we're like it's a chance to go to san diego we stopped by the grand canyon on the way out there i know. That's awesome. I, I still thought like in, in while we were driving out there i i thought i was going to be um I didn't know what I was doing. They, they invited me to a convention. I just assumed because actors do promotions at conventions all the time. You know, they'll be hired by a, you know, some, some, you know, manufacturer and you'll sit there with some weird widget at a table and be like, these are the best gonculators you can buy in the industry. And you, so they give you a script and you learn it and you stand at a booth all day trying to sell gonculators to the gonculator crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and so I assumed I was going to be like, um, this was during Yu Yu Hakusho. I, was, I assumed I was going to be like, watch my show, Yu Yu Hakusho. It's a great show. I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And then I got there, I got to the hotel and they had, you know, a guest handler. And he was like, okay, your first signing is at, uh, from your first signing is from one to four. 
And I was like, what do you mean signing? And they were like, you're going to be signing autographs. And I was like, this is stupid. Nobody's going to want my autograph. What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, this is the dumbest. I'm like, we don't have flyers to pass out or anything. They're like, no, people will bring things for you to sign. I'm like, nobody's going to bring anything. You're like, stop it. Yeah, I I really. Where are the cameras at? Is Ash the Kutcher, where are you at? (laughs) (laughs) And they they sat me down. And first of all, San Diego Comic-Con, even back then, 20 years ago, was massive. You know, it took takes uh, 40 minutes just to walk from the hotel to the convention center. And then once you're at the convention center, it's another 20 or 30 minutes to get to the table. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to plan, you know, from hotel to signing. It was, you know, hour and a half just to make sure you're there on time. And I, I got sat down at the table and we're in one of the halls. It's one of the smaller halls. There's vendors all around. Um, and we're at a table and there's some, uh, you know, the entrance is behind us, like s- six doors and we're kind of on this little stage area. I think it was me and John Bergmeier, if I recall correctly, uh, who played Karama and I played Hie. And so we're si- and they we're sitting there and I was like, see, this is stupid. There's nobody here because there was nobody in front of the table. And they were like, are you guys ready? And I'm like, ready for what? There's nobody <laughs> yeah. here. What are we supposed to do? And they they because um, I had seen in the hall, it was a giant hall. There was a line uh, around the outside wall of the hall and they kind of keep the line from blocking the traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were like, no, Chuck, that's, that's your line. That's the line of people waiting to meet Let's you. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And they had like put some Sharpies down and they were like, release the hound. And, and suddenly I was like, <laughs> I was like, what is, what is ha-? like, I had no idea. I was like, what is happening? And like the first girl that came up, she had been in line for, I think she told me she'd been in line for like four or five hours really? or something. And she had she had watched all of Yu Yu Hakusho while her dad was dying of cancer. Yeah. And they loved Hie and Hie was their favorite and her dad had since passed. And she her biggest thing in life was that she wanted to meet the voice of Hie because it reminded her. And I was like totally unprepared for mm-hmm. it. And then, I, but she gave me such a good, she set the bar for me for the next 20 years where I had, you know, I had to, uh, and, and all voice actors, I think to a person understand that the job at the table is to be present for people mm-hmm. who found the show important in their lives, either because that trouble at school, trouble at home, trouble with parents, you know, whatever it was, anime was an escape for people. And we were the, the 3D represent representatives of these characters. And we could, we could, they could, they could finally have someone to personally thank for what the anime did for them. So we we're, we're like the, the 3D representatives of the anime in the real world. So we can, we can give, we can receive that gratitude and love and we can give that gratitude and love back. And so I understood that really quick, right at that first signing and, um, you know, sort of set the tone for the next 20 years. Absolutely. And I would imagine for you on the other end of it, because, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, like Chris Abbott, like you and Chris, like your normal speaking voices are very akin to, you know, like 17, Hie, Vegeta, Piccolo. So it's just like I would imagine you have, you know, other voice actors, you know, friend of the podcast, Amanda C. Miller, voice of Barato. You know, she doesn't really sound like Barato. She puts on the performance Mm -hmm. when she gets in the character. But, you know, like with you. 
when you talk about like the 3D representation, and I know for Trav, he's humble, so he won't say it. You know, he is probably one of his favorite anime <laughs> characters of all time. So it's like it's, it's surreal moments having conversation. It's just like, man, this guy was the voice track of my childhood. <laughs> like the soundtrack of my childhood. Like it's it's definitely a surreal moment. But I, I definitely want Trav to like get into his UU bag because I know he's been chomping at the bit. <laughs> nah, but, know, uh, a, a case could be made that you. Uh, have voiced probably two of the most like punk rock characters of all time in terms of like he ain't 17 like when you got those roles and you were like you know going through the motions doing your prep getting these episodes and you know like putting laying the work did you just did you realize like how big that these characters were going to get especially because like they're like more more 17 than he eh? but like they're like main character adjacent so 17 was you know like uh, a plot device to like move the story forward and like help us get to sell and whatnot, what have you. But like for whatever reason, whether it was the outfit, the bandana, the gun that he never uses, like, <laughs> <laughs> just sure. like latched on. Yeah, people just latched on to him, and it just like kind of just like took a life of its own. Like Seventeen's fandom. Did you did you feel that like when you were like boots on the ground in it, like voicing these characters? Now when we're voicing, when we're voicing, it's very much about our own lives and about the fun we're having in the studio. We're not, uh, you know, we're concerned acting wise, sort of artistically, what am I doing moment to moment in the show? How can we make the mom this moment the best? Now, Yu Yu Hakusho was a little different because we had done Dragon Ball Z and had started Dragon Ball because we did DBZ first and then went right. back and did Dragon Ball. And had started Dragon Ball, but Yu Yu, so Dragon Ball kind of felt like the same as DBZ. It was the same uh, you know, general property. But when Yu Yu came along, the idea was that this was going to be the next big thing. And we all knew DBZ had become big. And so it, there was a little bit higher bar in terms of uh, our attitude in the studio. Cause during DBZ, we just fucked. I mean, we just goofed around. <laughs> I mean, it was not, and you can kind of tell from that first, uh, uh, the DBZ as opposed to Kai, um, uh, like original DBZ is very loose. It's, pre it's pretty loose because it was just a bunch of uh, young adults having fun. But when we got to Yu Yu Hakusho, it was more, there was a little bit more seriousness about it, a little bit more um, uh, professionalism. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was a greater sense of professionalism with it. We had uh, moved from the downstairs kind of crappy studio into the upstairs of uh, the building moving we on up. to some nicer studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it, it was a little bit, there was there was occasionally a receptionist at the front, you know, and you'd be like, oh, a receptionist. Most of the time there wasn't. <laughs> we made it. Just kind of, yeah. <laughs> but so it, it was, it was it, there was a little bit more of, of uh, 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 seriousness to the job that we were doing, a little bit more professionalism. But uh, I didn't, so when you're doing it, you're concerned about, uh, the acting and the um, the hours, like how many hours am I getting? How many lines do I got? Am I in the next four episodes? Because they were uh, done in four episodes. I got I got I got an electric bill to pay. Am I yeah, in the next right. four episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're worried about sort of daily life stuff. It wasn't. It's not until we get to the conventions that we start to concern ourselves with the impact that it's having on people or its connection to the fans. So you've been a part of many franchises and I and I love to ask this question to the voice actors that we interview but 
out of all the franchises, what would you who would you say has the craziest fan base? And like when you immediately like, well, okay, the, <laughs> they're serious about it. You know, it's, <laughs> well, okay. So DBZ's got to got to take the uh, mm-hmm. it's got to take the crown for for fan base, and and there is there are definite uh, there's a definite extra um, there's this athletic uh, martial art professional wrestling crew like there's a dbz bro pods and there'll be like six dudes they're all jacked they're all wearing <laughs> you know tees, and they'll come up to the table like you know and you're over like, 9, hey, you guys t-shirts i've seen at the gym <laughs> oh yeah you already know. that's right that's right or the or and the you know, uh, the saiyan armor yep, tank tops yep. like with the printed saiyan armor <laughs> yeah so so that fan base is is strong and that fan base has gone from being the sort of DBZ bro pods into it being like, you, you know, a uh, uh, professional athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, professional athletes are doing, uh, you know, homages in the end zone or uh, got, got DBZ on their sneakers or, you know, so, you know, or, or designing, uh, you know, their armor after Vegeta or yeah. whatever it is. And suddenly you're like, Oh, those, those jacked kids are now professional athletes. So that, that's where <laughs> yeah. that kind of went to. But as far as like crazy fan bases, like rabid, insane fan bases, there's, there's always, so as the young people get into anime, they want to belong and they will grab onto certain anime and say, this is ours. And there'll be this like core group of people who all love a certain anime. And, uh, it's, it shifts from year to year. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was an independent uh, uh, animation called Homestuck for a while. And so there were all these hardly these Homestuck kids and they were always the younger kids. And that kind of transferred into Hetalia. And there were all these young Hetalia <laughs> kids who all loved that. I think I think now they're more like Demon Slayer. and But now it's okay. so broad that they kind of now all feed into my hero academia and so uh I, i'd say those my hero fans and demon slayer fans are, are pretty they're they're strong present up yeah. front right now for sure yeah that's a popular that's a popular <laughs> answer <laughs> and like it's, it's so it's so funny you talked about like the different factions of anime because one of the biggest and we talk about this all the time but one of the biggest reasons we started this podcast was because like it almost felt like people that looked like matt and myself we had to keep our anime fandom to ourselves because it was almost looked at as like, whoa, why are you this old still watching cartoons? Or like when you mentioned before, when you um, were first presented with Dragon Ball, you're like, uh, this sounds like a porn. We're like, at the time, you know, I'd had kids like, wait, oh, you're into that, <laughs> like, like that hentai? I was like, no, not at all. Like, I'm dead, that's, <laughs> right, right. but, um, it, but now though, it's definitely a lot more like mainstream and accepted and almost to the point where, I'm like meeting less people that don't watch anime than versus do where before it was kind of like, yo, Matt, you should watch the new Gundam Wing. My niece, my niece came home. My, my brother lives up in Milwaukee and she came home. I was visiting and she came home and she said something, something, she's complaining about something. And she was a dancer and, and uh, the cheer squad, I think. And, and, uh, she, she came home and she was like something, something, Cheryl, such a wannabe nerd. 
And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wanna be nerd? What what do you mean? She's like, well, she says she watches anime, but she doesn't really watch it. I'm like, wait a minute. So now you you can be a wannabe nerd. Like we used to have to hide that shit. Like we used to have to not let you know because we get pummeled by the sportos who would be like cartoons yeah. are stupid and they well, beat you or whatever. That's so funny <laughs> you say that because that's and also another reason why we started because now we were starting to see like the like the well actually crowd are like oh if you can't talk about yeah. anime unless you're just talking like the specific uh the specific yeah Brand and like cool. the the, <laughs> the historical context Mind of purist. it but it's just like you know, man, I, we talk about it in a, in a in a barbershop talk fashion. You know, like we're definitely fans, but yeah, definitely right. don't need to be like, you know. Well, this this source came out in uh, 1999 in the chapter 47 of Volume Five. Like, you know, it's just page <laughs> <Right. Hey>, six, <laughs> yeah. third right. panel to the right. <laughs> well, growing up when I was a kid, a kid when I was uh, you know like freshman, sophomore in college in Chicago, there was a a video store that had a wall. And that's like the first time I was aware of anime. I'd watched, um, you know, Speed Racer and Battleship Yamamoto and and I didn't know they were anime. They were just what I considered, uh, uh, especially Battleship Yamamoto, what I consider a G-Force, what I considered more oh, serious cartoons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like we had cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, which were, you know, Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry, etc. Bugs but Bunny is during, a spirit animal. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> but during the week after school from like three to five, they'd have, um, you know, it, it was it was like Bat- Battleship Yamamoto was the one that really stuck with me. It was problematic, though, because it wasn't on video. And so if you missed, you never really knew what was going on because you never got to get. Sometimes I get a good three or four days in a row where I saw it. And so I'd get a little bit of the plot of what was going on. But it was it was uh, it was in college that I kind of really recognized, oh, this is what anime is. It's animation from Japan and they treat it more seriously. And it's not just for kids. It's for adults. And the first one that blew my mind was Akira. Mm. And Akira was just an amazing film. And I, I, I didn't know what happened to me when I saw it. I was like, holy cow, I don't even know what, what that was. And we, uh, you know, we, we gunslinger girl, uh, like uh, uh, Cowboy Bebop. Um, a great one. You know, we, we tried. Yeah, we tried to watch those. But, it, it, you know, you'd get episodes one through four. And then five through eight would never be in. And you'd, you'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we can't we can't watch it in order and we couldn't watch yeah. it in order. So we mostly stuck to movies back in the day because you yeah. could see a movie and, and enjoy it and not be uh, not be frustrated for two months waiting for the these kids today. <laughs> <laughs> All streams right they to their phone. Their they don't know. The they don't know. They don't know how hard it was. They don't know. The struggle was real back in the day. Oh, yeah. Well, we. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was gonna, me and Trav have talked about before in like yeah. previous episodes. Like, I, I I can remember back when uh when Inuyasha came out in real time, back when you could only watch it on like Adult Swim, and I remember it wasn't dubbed past a certain point, so they would always right. like get to like it and then restart the show all over again, yeah. and then 
each time it would come back, they would go like one episode further, and you'd be like, ah, yes, they're finally gonna finish it. And then no, they would restart it again. <laughs> and it took so yeah. long. Like, I was it's like, I, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> That's true. So you would just like go on strike and come back and like hope they would further along, but they're only in like the second season. You're like, oh man, I still got like 50 more episodes before they get to the end. Yeah. But that's that's funny that you say that about you like it what it was it was such a commitment and so stressful and such like you know like a tease because it's like you would get like great episodes and then they would give you the oh next time and they would give you the little preview like like shorts of what was coming and then that episode would never come or they would like and skip past by it the time you like, return you forget <laughs> so many things <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i have no idea what's happening now <laughs> well yeah that was super stressful i remember that uh remember yeah. that vividly that era of like tsunami and stuff like that but uh, was speed racer considered an anime i never looked at yeah. speed racer as like an anime. Yeah. Like, you said it i was like oh that makes total sense but i never looked at it as like an anime you know it was a it was a because when you go to when you look at the japanese the way they look at anime speed racer would have been considered a kid's anime battleship yamamoto would have been considered you know young adult high school ish anime or adult anime and then, of course, they go all the way to the actual adult anime, which we don't need to get into. But uh, <laughs> I remember, though, I remember the first time I was at a convention and, and I was walking past a, the video that had like rooms where they're playing videos and one of them had the door closed and said hentai. And I'm like, no, oh, hentai, what's that? I was like, ah! And they had to like close Dude, the door like, whoa, and run whoa, away. Whoa. <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to know. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've told the story before. Like my like first introduction of like just the wide range of anime was, um, I think I was in, I think I was sixth grade and this was when, uh, sixth or seventh grade, but this was when On Demand like first uh, was, introduced with like the tv with um the tv networks and so there was anime network on demand right. and um i was like oh sweet because i had just gotten you know dragon ball z gundam wing um yu yu and there was just this one uh i thought it was gonna be like some like vampire hunter type thing and i was like oh cool though this sounds interesting and then like oh the first scene was just so morbid and i was just like Ugh. I was like, this is, I thought this stuff's supposed to be for kids. And I was like, wait, hold on. I turned it off so quick. You know, let's see if like, you know, my parents were around to see what the hell I was watching. That's, that's always right. the time yeah. your parents walk in. Every like, when it's a scene, like, like Oolong wearing Boma's panties on his head is when your parents walk right. past. Like, what is this? Like, I swear this isn't how the show goes. What are you watching? <laughs> right. Well, that's why I play Shao Tucker in Full Metal Alchemist. And that's a universally traumatizing character character for the the anime fandom and i think it's because uh, parents were like uh dbz it's basically good guys mm. bad guys fighting there's nothing really bad about it it's fine and then full metal came along and they're like oh it's probably the same it's another one of those and they just let their eight-year-olds <laughs> and uh, ten-year-olds watch it and it scarred them people were you know little kids were like they shouldn't do that to a child yeah, yeah. and a dog <laughs> and, you know like, so there's a unit a, uni a universal trauma that I get to be a part of integrating for people when they come up to the table and they're they're like, when I was eight, I had nightmares for you know twelve <laughs> nights in a row because of you, and I'm like, I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, man. all your I, fault. <laughs> and we had watched um, my, my fiance had yeah, watched not, Full Metal, and when we got to that episode, we it ended, and she just looks at me and goes, "That was dark." 
<laughs> Super. <laughs> she starts looking at you differently. <laughs> but I'm so happy that you actually had had brought that up, Chuck, because uh, we were fortunate enough to speak with uh, Brina Palencia, who voice acted Nina in the Chimera oh, yeah. version of Nina in that. Yeah. And she kind of gave us like her take of her experience of like experiencing that from her side you as like the perpetuator of all that uh <laughs> that evil right can you give us like your uh, like your the memories that you have of like filming yeah. like that that series of episodes for full metal yeah so you know it's funny because brina and i recorded that before we really knew each other i'd met her once when she was in in like a freshman in college i think i taught a workshop at her college and she was just a kid. And then I knew she was doing voices at Funimation. And, uh, but then she, she ended up in, in one of my lead in one of my movies. And I ended up being a, a director of photography on a web series that, that she produced. And then I worked really closely with her and her husband, um, in a film production company and Chris Sabat for, uh, several years. And so she, she and my, my children were in her wedding, the oh, ring bearer right. and flower girl <laughs> wow. and her little kids. And You're trying awesome. to make up for what uh, uh, so that, yeah, that character we've did? known each <laughs> for what I did. That's right. For what I did to her. You owed her that. <laughs> <laughs> when I recorded it, I thought it was freaking hysterical. I thought it was the funniest thing. I was like, that's awesome. Damn. <laughs> Edward. Oh. I was like, Big oh, that's brother. hilarious, man. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's dope. I was like, that's so hard. That's cool. And then I watched the series and I was like, <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? What have I done? What did I do? I was like, oh, that's terrible. I was like, now I understand. But like recording it, I don't care what you're, you know, you're in a film and you get shot in the head. You're like, yeah, right. I got shot in the head. And then you <laughs> see it and you're awesome. like, oh, that's sad. Right. But so the experience of, of creating the art is always different uh, than the experience of experiencing the art. So uh, the creating it was great. It was hilarious. I thought it was fun. Um, <laughs> the execution. Uh, <laughs> horrifying. Mm, watching it after <laughs> like, like texting and bring like, hey, uh, I didn't mean to laugh during that scene. Uh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> just, just on occasion, like, hey, sorry for uh, what was you, you, you know that's not sorry. me, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Brian. That ain't me. What <laughs> <laughs> <But> is it? <laughs> does it? Does it? Does it ever like uh, you know, you you being a parent, I have two children and stuff like that, and I I, I hope that you know what we're creating here, like you know, leaves like in a a lasting impression that my kids when they get older can like look back, like my my dad did that. Does it ever like you know? Does the weight of like that you're a part of like forever moments for like a lot of people, does that ever like, you know, creep into your head? Like, man, like I, I like that's something that I was a part of that literally has gone length to length. Because like what happened to, to, to Nina Tucker or 17, even, you know, like I said, we were talking about how Garlic Jr. is like a very underappreciated villain from Dragon Ball. Like that is stuff that. I'm often caught off guard when I come across people a lot younger than me who are like super knowledgeable about things that you weren't even alive for. And it's just like this, the staying power of a lot of what you've done, like you as a father, just you as like, you know, a professional, like, does that ever like, you know, do you ever like well up inside? <laughs> like, like, yeah, like I did that. <laughs> it is definitely, I mean, I have been an actor since I was 15 
And so I've been doing it for 37 years now. And uh, I did it very uh, sporadically between 15 and, and 19 and then started pretty seriously at age 19, got my SAG card, my AfterCard, my equity card. And so I've been pro uh, hardcore since since 19. And I have friends, colleagues who um, have succeeded incredibly. Um, uh, Michael Shannon and I used to compete in Chicago for roles all the time. I would get, uh, you know, uh, I would get the, the Goodman Theater role and he would get the Steppenwolf one. I'd get the Steppenwolf one. And he because, you know, there was an age range that we were at. Nick Offerman was another colleague. He drove me to one of my first big film gigs. Hey, Parks and Rec. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, like, they, you know, I've had friends, uh, colleagues who have succeeded. And, and they're two, like, pri- you know, primo examples who have succeeded really well. But right underneath that are a bunch of actors who have had very successful uh, film and television careers um, who struggle to at times to keep their career um, uh, afloat, moving forward, paying the bills, et cetera, et cetera. And because of the strength of the anime fandom and the strength of the art form in that it will last forever, you you know, uh, Android 17 will (laughs) be like Pepe Le Pew or, you know, he's, he's not Bugs Bunny. Uh, but maybe he's Foghorn Leghorn. I don't know. But, uh, there you, go. you know, it, he's going to be a character associated with people's childhoods forever now. The, and, and it'll continue in different incarnations. And as an actor, you want to have an impact artistically. And we don't have that much of it. Like I said, we're surfers on the wave of anime. So we're not creating the art. We're not... Um, uh, defining the characters so much as we are participating in them. But as, as an actor to be able to look back over 35 years of acting and know that, you know, for the last 15 years, at least I could pretty much go to any English speaking city in the world and say, you know, tweet, would anybody like to come for coffee? And I, you know, I'd have, I'd have people show up and want to sit down and chat. And that's not, um, you know, that's, that's an incredible blessing to have this fandom that is so and that supportive a- that and a structure too. that we've all worked to create. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that we've, we've all worked to create the sort of structure of the anime fandom, all the voice actors, all the vendors, all the conventions, all the fans, all the, you know, DBZ abridged, all the sort of ancillary, products, podcasts, everything. Everybody has worked together to make this what it is. And that's different from Hollywood, where Hollywood is is a you know a system that's based on money and sort of connection and privilege and 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 uh, they they own the marketing of the you know anime didn't get marketed like uh, the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anime happened because the fans were there first, mm-hmm. and so that gives you a, a strength in your career. And you, yeah, I look at you know, I, I get a little embarrassed knowing that I have hundreds and hundreds of panels uh, of Q and As recorded where <laughs> I'm acting the fool. And I remember when um, my wife and I were uh, courting. We were courting. I was recently divorced and uh, uh, met her and. Uh, 
I remember one time she she texted me. She's like, "My mom's uh, looking you up on YouTube." <laughs> You're like, "Wait, wait, what's she looking?" You know, up? I didn't think about like <laughs> what has she seen so far. Yeah, the, the, right. the, the, like what what, keep... what year is she looking into? <laughs> That's right. So I was like, I got introduced to her family in a in a in a way that you normally aren't introduced to people. They nowadays with the internet, but especially with this career, we we put ourselves yeah. out there a lot, and so we end up being you know, part of, um, the culture in a way that you, you know, is, is lasting and will last forever. And that's, that's, uh, uh you should have just said that's, honored, that was you from treasured. a different timeline. Uh, like, sure. Just, you know, just could have been like, Hey, you know, I'm not, I am everybody, everybody who knows me knows I am who I am and nothing, nothing anybody <laughs> thinks or says is going to change that. Hey, if there's right. one thing I know everybody in this industry knows that that's, the, <laughs> that's one thing that you are, you sure. are singing my song, sir. I'm unapologetically myself. Yeah. Why be anyone else? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But I, I love hearing you, you know, talk about like your your dalliances with, you know, Nick Offerman, Michael Shannon, because like it's funny because I'm a huge Michael Shannon fan. And it was weird because like my first memory of him was like him at Eight Mile. So like when he got like casted as Zod, I was like, Greg Views playing Zod. I was like, that's a, that's a terrible casting choice. <laughs> and then he like killed it. And I was like, oh, the range. The range. <laughs> I was like, wow, this, yeah. this man is he's, amazing. <laughs> he's genuinely, genuinely one of the most interesting people you would ever I can meet imagine. in person. He is just has a presence about him uh, that is definitely built for a character like that. But he is a, a genuinely sweet, super kind person. But we went head, it was down to me and him uh, and one other person for a role in uh, Groundhog Day. So he's mm -hmm. in Groundhog Day and uh, uh, they it's like the last scene, he's the boyfriend of the girl and they get the tickets to the I, don't, I forget what it is, but I every time I watch Groundhog Day, I was like, I remember that casting session. Ah, I remember being called back. I, I remember being called back again. Uh, it all works out. It all works out. Absolutely. But you're you're also the reason why I wanted to kind of go back to Michael Shannon and the government because you're you're in a very uh, interesting spot to where you've done voice acting and mm -hmm. live acting and even theater. Now you've kind of run the gambit with everything. And a, a lot of the voice actors that we've had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of them typically just stayed voice because you know they would consider themselves to you know not be extroverted and don't really necessarily want to be in front of the camera but you know you had mentioned like early on like you had kind of started theater first was was that like a, a learning curve for you to have to like figure out how to emote with your voice and not have to like use your face and like facial expressions and like are they like just like my tonality is what i have to use to like be an actor now well, it's interesting at the beginning, uh, uh, back in the day when Funimation was casting people, the the sort of serious actors in town. Um, and it up until like the last four or five years, it was still that way. The last four or five years, people have uh, have kind of let go of their pretension and are like, oh, I can go to a convention. <laughs> I can show up at a convention and, and uh, make some cash and meet some fans. Uh, they've kind of dropped the pretense of that. But at the beginning, especially, it wasn't considered acting. And I think it's because the difficulty in anime voice acting uh, can be very frustrating for very good actors. 
because there are constraints in it that don't lend themselves mm. to increased creativity. Uh, and let me explain. In Shakespeare, you work with iambic pentameter. So there's a rhythm and a verse that you are obligated to. And if you are deviating from that, you're probably not a very good actor. Uh, you, you, you are part of a, a tribe, a, a brotherhood of artists who have done Shakespeare. And so, but the verse gives you a freedom. It gives you a creativity that you never felt or saw before. Anime voice acting, I, I oftentimes call it the most creative, the most fun data entry you've ever done in your life because you are essentially at the service of the picture and the mouth flaps. And so it's a very constraining creative process. And for actors who are really, really good, there are a lot of really amazing actors who auditioned at Funimation and either um, initially got in and then decided they didn't like it or just couldn't just didn't want to do it because of the sort of restrictions that dub work puts on you. It is a separate version of acting. You don't have to have it memorized. You don't have to put on a costume. You're not doing a long scene. You know, many times you're just doing one line at a time. You're constrained to what's already been drawn. So you may have an impulse for a line but it's drawn in a way that you can't follow that impulse. So you have to change your impulse as an actor. And we have to do that all the time when a director asks us to, or uh, the action reaction that happens to us, we're dealing with our partner. There's no partner to deal with. You're dealing with the drawing. And so it's a constraining creative process that makes um, really good actors frustrated. I'm, if I'm being honest, it frustrates me too. I've become very good at it, but it is uh, different from stage acting or yeah. film acting. It is very much easier in many ways because of the constraints. It's, let me put it this way. Uh, I think so many people are attracted to voice acting because of uh, the simplicity and ease of it. You, I can, I can pretty much get anybody to get me what I need them to give me uh, in in voice acting, other than fight reactions, sometimes people just can't get fight reactions. <laughs> like they don't physically understand how to do it. But uh, you know, it, it is it is an attractive acting process for people because of the sort of anonymity of it, and because you make a mistake and you immediately get to correct it. If you're on a set and they've held traffic and the helicopter shots coming and you got eighty people on the <laughs> yeah, crew, yeah, got to get the shot. You, and you forget your line, it's a big deal. If you forget your line on stage, it's a huge deal. Yeah. You know, it is a traumatic adrenaline-fueled uh, uh, event in your life that you will remember forever. There's almost nothing that happens in the booth that's that traumatic. I, I would imagine the appeal for voice acting and getting to work like right. PJs to work every day. It's like 100%. <laughs> that's a big thing, too. 100%. I won't tell you, but there is much that I have recorded from home totally naked. No. I'm As you should. Hey, look. If I had it like that, <laughs> if there wasn't a camera facing me now. <laughs> Budokai, just know Android 17, when you're playing it, when the me. when the pandemic hit and all that, and we started <laughs> uh, working remotely, oh man! Like, well, I actually it was funny. I hadn't worn right. jeans in what? probably that whole year because I was just like, I didn't leave. The, I just wore joggers. 
like like there was no need for me to to wear jeans so like i'll be like getting i'll be getting out of the shower and be like oh shit i gotta call right. on go on like oh do we want to turn on camera our cameras on nope not me i don't think you want me to <laughs> man that's right I say right. I, I say so much on laundry detergent during during the pandemic, during the pandemic bro. Like, um, I, I'm not going anywhere. I don't need clothes. Nobody, nobody. I don't think my wife all. went anywhere for six months. I remember the first time she went out. It was a it was an event. She was like, I haven't been out in the, the world. The first time that like, I had to like, go luck. to a wedding post pandemic was like the, the first time that I tied a tie since. Um, I would do it obviously regular going into the office, but then I was like, I had to go on YouTube for a quick tutorial because I forgot how to do it. I was like, uh, oh shit, okay. <laughs> you remind Muscle memory, baby. Muscle memory. But, um, I, I, try, I do have one last uh, UU question before I do want to ask you another question about a project that you're working on. But um, a lot of fans um, – have like been clamoring for either uh, a reboot or an extension of Yu Yu Hakusho. But, um, you know, I, I personally think that the story ended the way that it, it should have. Um, I mean, obviously, if it were to ever get a reboot or the story extended, I'm clearly going to watch. But um, what are your thoughts on that when you hear people say, like, oh, you know, they right. wish that um, the story will continue or if they reboot it in some sort of, sort of way? Uh, I'm all in favor of it. It's a show that was, um, it's weird. Little kids coming up being Yu Yu Hakusho, like people are discovering it again. And so there's this mm -hmm. sort of groundswell of people who love Yu Yu Hakusho. And it is, uh, I think it's worthy. I think it's worthy of a, a, a reboot or a continuation. You know, give it the, mm -hmm. the, the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood treatment. You know, stick a little more closely to the manga or continue where it left off. And um, it's, uh, you know, for a lot of people, Yu Yu Hakusho ended and they went, mm -hmm. is that the end? Like it felt, mm -hmm. I was okay with Same. it. I thought it ended fine. I thought it wrapped up as well as it could at that point. There was definitely more to tell that, that there was mm -hmm. definitely more to uh, explore in terms of relationships, especially uh, Yukina and yeah. Kie and Kuwabara. I mean, you could get into all sorts of shenanigans. Shit, even there. the demon realm. <laughs> uh, but the, um, uh, I, the, I think it's worthy. I think it. I think it's going to. Ha I, I believe it's going to happen. I, I believe that that uh, uh, it'll, oh, don't, it'll don't, don't get me too excited now. For sure. <laughs> I've, I've always. <laughs> I've always felt like they would have to like work out the logistics and there obviously would be like some type of continuity issues. But I've, I've always felt that like you, you and bleach were like cousin properties. And I always like wish there'd be like a subtle nod that they like took place in like the same universe. Like <laughs> you say it's basically a soul reaper. <laughs> like, <And> basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So I always like wish that that like, they they were connected yeah. somehow like there was like a, a through line that like brought those two things and together. yu yu is the only like anime super, that i listen cool. to the intro song every single time an episode <laughs> airs like all the all other anime i'll just see like if it's a new intro i'll watch it once and then i'll just skip through it for the other episodes yu yu never skip always always bopping the smile bomb 
<laughs> it's a great intro. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's right. That's, 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 that's a great I, intro. That's how I felt about Digimon. Can't never skip the Digimon intro. <laughs> like, yeah. You gotta let you gotta let that go. So my uh, next question, though, well, <laughs> actually, there's um, it kind of leads into the the next question, but uh, Apple did recently announce um, the Apple Vision Pro, and during our pre-interview call, you had mentioned you were know, working on digital slash three D artwork. Um, well, first, talk a little about the creative development behind that, and then also, how do you envision the role that something like an Apple Vision Pro can play to bring in this new creative into life? <laughs> I don't. I, I'm using. I'm using my camera. Otherwise, I'd show you the uh, what I've attached. I've attached it. I'm actually once I finish this, I'm working on an announcement to let all my fans know, but I've attached augmented reality mm. to all of my prints so that when you, when you point your camera at this, it opens up that scene and you watch oh, the shit. scene okay. play out oh, on wow. this print. <laughs> and some of the other oh, ones, shit. yeah, <laughs> some of the other ones I've done, um, I've used an app mm -hmm. called, it's two apps, one called Publish AR and there's one called Revive. Publish AR is the, it's a way that anybody can put augmented reality anywhere. Um, and so I'm doing that with all my prints and there's some conventions that wanna do it. Um, uh, but the, I also use an app called Revive so that like the print stays the same, but the <laughs> mouth of the print and the head kind of move using uh, AI so that it, it and, and then you add your voice to it. So I have some of my prints now that, when you point your camera at it, they come to life and just start talking to you like it's Harry Potter. So uh, uh, I I think it's fun. I think it's a, a neat way to to reconnect with people who maybe 20 years ago, uh, ago bought a print and, and now they're going to be able to like, download this app and the print's going to come to life. And then I can change. I can change what I say in the print. So the prints may say one thing this year and then uh, next month or this month and then next month, maybe I'll change them and make them do something different. So suddenly That's this amazing experience that you had with your, your favorite voice actor becomes a, a continuing experience. You get to connect with them and, and, and continue, you know, and as from a voice actor standpoint, uh, all my prints, I have my camera booted up and, uh, you want to hear me do the line and, and we don't mind. I don't mind personally. I don't mind. Someone says, would you do the dragon of the darkness flame? And I do it. But now my HEA print, you just point the camera at it, uh, point the camera at it, and it, it's the Dragon of the Darkness flame scene. So HEA suddenly busts out into Dragon of the Darkness flame in the print. And uh, as a, from a voice actor standpoint, doing uh, tons of conventions, uh, every time you don't That's have to <laughs> shred your voice uh, at the table, and, and this, this gives you, it's a it's a bonus. I can I can I can let let fans point their camera and hear the lines right there with me standing with You're them. like I got you. Hold on. And it's perfect. It's exactly <laughs> the way it was in the show. I don't have to imitate it. I, yeah, yeah. I, I may, may or may not ask you, you to shred your voice right now though, for yeah, a dragon super of cool. flame. <laughs> Dragon of the darkness <laughs> flame. Yeah. He does that yes. in the OVA too. Have you seen those OVAs? Yeah. No, so no. I got to do Dragon One of my of the favorite darkness scenes, if not favorite from cool. LPAs. Yes, that's that. 
yeah that yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing because like so we often say here you know like because like we're in it it's like real hard for us to like sometimes look outside and like count our wins like when like big things happen for like you know having you here like this is a major victory for us like right? <laughs> you know like because we're in it i'm sure it won't hit us until like nah. tomorrow like oh, he and android 17 was on the podcast <laughs> but like <laughs> this concept that's like game changing like i feel like that could yeah. take like Mm-hmm. comics to 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 the next level like if you if that could like that could like develop into you know like whole mangas just you know just go over your phone and it plays out like every panel like that man that's like next well i was stuff. i was talking to some convention owners and you know how you, everybody has their badge and one of the things that i was saying people that they could do with this app is you point your uh, everybody every uh, fan that's there every day you point your camera at the badge and it tells you what's up that day. You know, mm-hmm. I would literally pop up on the badge and be like, don't forget the cosplay contest is at five 30. My signings from here to here. And there's got this panel and this panel. And then there's the rave tonight in the ballroom B or whatever. So like, uh, and th- the other things, some of the other things they're talking about doing with the app is being able to, uh, ge- geotag, like you'd be able to. So imagine, um, Mr. Beast, is going to release a new video instead of releasing it online. He could release it in f- like the downtowns of 32 different cities. So you'd have to go downtown and point your camera at the, you know, maybe a Mr. Beast poster or whatever. And it would erupt to life and, and be this new, uh, be his new video. So suddenly instead of just like everybody in their home, you know, by themselves, watching the new Mr. Beast video, suddenly there's 20,000 people in downtown Fort Worth who want to see it that day. And everybody watches it. Everybody laughs at the same time together. Everybody, you know, goofs at the same time together. And then the video's over and everybody puts their phones down and their eyes are open and they're in a park or in a, a, you know, town square or buy a movie theater or restaurant suddenly it's like it's like an instant way to drop a convention somewhere man that's crazy. that's yeah. like super like ground level versions of like like hologram communication that we see in like star wars and stuff like that like you can like <laughs> here let me see if i can yeah, yeah i'm about to say let me see if i can switch it let me let me let me let me switch my camera <laughs> it's not letting me hold on hold on i'm not going anywhere no i'll take it out yeah that's why is wild. it it's not le- it's not letting me use my uh if i can switch my camera it's not letting me switch it to the the computer hold on let me see if i can fix no, this <laughs> yeah give me a second give me my a mind's second. Like a can... mile a minute <laughs> to like what this to like <laughs> what this could turn <laughs> into <laughs> hold on i'm gonna re- i'm gonna refresh it now see i gotta use my camera to be able to Mm. It's not letting me switch to my computer camera. Mm. Why isn't it not? Technology. Oh, you, oh I can't. Oh, it's saying I. It's it's saying I can't switch cameras while it's recording. Oh, because you're in use. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Are you on your phone or like a like a? Yeah, camera? yeah. I got my phone. My phone. Say, if, you wanna, if you want to turn your phone <laughs> camera to the screen, that might work. It might look a little pixel. Yeah. Let me see. Would that work? Yeah. Oh, because okay. oh, you would need see. the camera to like scan the image. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, what? I mean, if if y'all want, hold on. I mean, if y'all want, hold on one sec. I'll go grab. Perfect.
Hmm. Mortals, listen up. It's your god of destruction, Beerus, here. Subscribe and follow the Dragon Ball for Life podcast, or else you shall be erased from existence. Hakai. So like, so like in my line, so when I got my line of people, I, I pass this out to the line and it says, you know, download this app here. And then you scan this QR code. Hold on, it needs more light. So you scan the QR code and then, <laughs> oh, this is complicated. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I do see that. Oh, see that? wow. That's crazy. Wait, wait, I can do this. Wait, there it is. That's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, so that, <laughs> and it's got audio That's to it. Wait, 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 crazy. Okay, let's look at the... Uh, let's look at the Android 17 one here. Okay. Here. Help other people. Look at me being all human. <laughs> yeah, so just Yo, that's next. There level. we go. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's it's a lot of crazy. Fun. Like, yeah, hell yeah. The application of that has hell so yeah. much potential for so many dope things. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like birthday cards. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. Christmas cards, wedding yeah. announcements, all of it. Shit, man, I have to do that for mine. And uh, like, like, uh, for my save, yeah, for my save the Apple X. <laughs> yeah, Look, I know, right? <laughs> Look, I'm saying. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super simple to do, too. I'm actually going to be. I'm making a tutorial of how to do it to show uh, other voice actors how to do it. Cause pe- it, my, 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 what I think is going to happen is eventually fans will be coming up to the table and being like, <laughs> your prints don't talk and move. And it'll be like, <laughs> right. uncultured like, swine. Right. 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 I'll come back when you get some uh, moving print. <laughs> yeah, and then the vi- the video at the end, you get to put any link you want at the end of the video, so that like that little that little uh, uh, piece of marketing material, print marketing material that that you use, which essentially is what we're doing is print marketing. At the end, it's got a link. You click on the link, and it goes to your your fan page or your I store need to do that, Matt. Or, or you know whatever. It's pretty cool. It's going to be, you know, because the app, the yeah. Apple XR thing is <laughs> cool, but it's $3,500. So that's not going to be a lot of people playing. <laughs> right. But everybody, you know, I mean, how many, 3 billion smartphones all over the world. Everybody can do this and you can do it. It takes me, that's I don't know, it takes me maybe two minutes, three minutes to make one of those. 
So it's yeah. not as Damn. super smart. <laughs> hey, game changing. When this blows yeah. up, we as a trio, we're taking credit for it. Mark, <laughs> All right, yeah. We'll say this, we were the ones who this pushed This episode, it. <laughs> hey, this was the tip of the spear. <laughs> this was the tip of the spear <laughs> on this That's day, right. June 14th, 2023, <laughs> depending on Recognize. where you're at in the world. So y'all late. Hey, y'all late. I told y'all this was the wave. <laughs> yeah, it's basically YouTube. It's like, yeah, it's like YouTube but for the real world. So like you'll yeah, be pointing your crazy. camera at stuff and stuff just will erupt to life. Look, this could be the <laughs> end of uh, people learning to read as we know it. <laughs> everyone's just going to have the book talking. They so I'm like, I never learned how to read. I just got the book to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an amazing there public was... speaker, but I can't read. <laughs> yeah. Oops. So there was one. I was my wife is in advertising and marketing. So I mocked up something for her. Um, like this. Check this out. So that's Minority Report. And then this is a cheese, the cheese it's Bach. This is how long it takes to make this happen. Watch. So this is just screen recording on my phone. You crop the picture nice and tight. You got a target video. You open, create a project, click the picture, drop the video on top of the picture squeeze it push it make sure it's centered where you want it you put the whatever you want the link to be at the end of it and then you test it oh. it's like oh. <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> this is wild <laughs> Oh, and you move the box and it goes with the box. This is next level, yo. Like, this is next level. Like, what? Like, what was, we do these on, like, the, the coffee mugs? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop talking. But yeah, at the end, you click, you click on the link. I know, all right, let's look. We're going to bleep all this. We're going to bleep out these last couple parts. We're going to bleep out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you need, man. Keep it. Right. Keep it in the traction. <laughs> Man. It'll, it'll surge at some point, but you can be first. No, that is yo, like I, my mind is like wow. that is yeah, crazy. Cool. That is yeah. crazy. We we could we could be stuck on that for like a whole other hour, Chuck. But I know like you sounds like a plan. No, I know. Well, um, I'll come back and we'll talk. About no, one thousand. I was gonna say once you come on here once we, we consider you a forever repeat guest, Chuck. But all uh, right. All right. before we close this bad boy out, uh, if you could let the people know how they can support you, where they can find you, your socials, what you got going on, the floor absolutely. Is Chuck Huber dot org is where you'll find most of my stuff. I get, I teach classes online. I got a couple master classes coming up in July. Uh, one of them is like dialects and acting technique. And, uh, the other one is, uh, classical monologue and improv and auditions. Um, <laughs> I'm Android Hubert on TikTok. My wife makes me do TikTok. Uh, <laughs> she's in charge of that. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't, I don't do much on Twitter <laughs> or Facebook or Instagram uh, or TikTok really, but, um, I, I try to I try to stay alive in there, and I respond to fans when they got questions and stuff. But I, I, I always my emails out there. It's fireflyworks at gmail dot com. If you got questions about 
classes or voice acting or, or awesome. magic prints that come to life to feel free to hit me up. I love that. I love that. And brother Trav, you know, I always love to give you the, nah, just, you know, I always like to thank our guests for taking the time to come on this, uh, the show with us and just, you know, we love to just chop it up and learn more and just be able to have a nice casual conversation about being nerds. So, uh, you know, Matt, as you like to say, instead of, um, open your nerd eye, we're going to, uh, open our Jagan eye for this episode. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, lifers, we call you guys the lifers because you quite literally put the life in the Dragon Ball for life. So like we always say here on the podcast, whether you watch it. There we go. We all need it. So open up your Jagan eye and we will see you next time on Dragon Ball (laughs) for life. We love you. And shout out to y'all. The next time. This is Chuck Huber, the voice of Hie from Yu Yu Hakusho. Dragon Ball for life of the Darkness Flame.